The uh, text that we're studying today is Matthew 21, 1 through 11, when Jesus went into Jerusalem on the donkey. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fowl of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so here we are at the point in Jesus' life where he knew that the cross was near. He knew that he was going to be going to the cross. And Jesus knew that the religious leaders were soon going to arrest him. They were going to mock him. They were going to scourge him, condemn him, and deliver him to the Romans to be crucified. If we look back at Matthew 20, Jesus actually took his disciples aside privately and he told them all that was going to happen to him. He said to them in Matthew 20, 19, they will hand him over to, be, to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But he also told them right after this, he said, on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And so knowing all of this was going to happen to him, Jesus not only went into Jerusalem, but he entered Jerusalem in the most public way that he possibly could, with a huge crowd and him sitting on a donkey. So if you heard Pastor's message this past Sunday, he said that one of the children in the back said that it was a Jesus parade. And I think that's a great description of this. It's a Jesus parade. It's Jesus coming in to Jerusalem and proclaiming himself as the king of Israel. And so this was a common way that kings would go into a city during peacetime. They would go in on a donkey. And so Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem here to conquer by force, but he came in to offer peace with God, to offer them peace with God. And so when a king came to a city to wage war, he would ride on a horse. So here Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as the prince of peace and the offering peace to his people. But if we look into Revelation 19, we see that Jesus will return on a white horse, which represents purity and victory. And he will not be riding a donkey, riding a humble, lowly donkey, 
he will be coming back victoriously on a white horse. Not to speak words that will just tingle our ears, but he's going to bring words of righteous judgment, just as he promised he would. Jesus Christ will come again, my friends, and he will come again in all power and glory. And all of the sin and suffering and death of this world will be destroyed because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Jesus entered into Jerusalem in a very public way. And if you remember earlier in Jesus's ministry, many times when he was performing miracles and when he was healing the sick or raising the dead, he would tell people to go and not say anything. Don't tell the people what I did. And it's because, as he told his mother, if you remember in his first miracle when he turned water into wine, he said that his time has not yet come. And so now he wanted everyone to know that he was coming into Jerusalem because now his time has come. And so Jesus entered into Jerusalem in a very public way because he was about to fulfill prophecy. And he was coming to them and he was about to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king. This is a time when Jerusalem would have been very crowded as well with visitors because this was a time of Passover and they were obligated to attend the Passover celebrations. And before Jesus entered into Jerusalem, we see that he sent two of his disciples ahead to go and get a donkey and a colt and bring them to him. And in other uh, verse, versions, uh, in Luke, in, um, I believe it's in Luke, he, it talks about how it's an untamed, uh, untamed colt that he brought. And so not only did Jesus tell the disciples where to go and who to talk to about this donkey and a colt, but he also told them to tell anyone who's going to ask you anything about this, of why you need this donkey, tell them that the Lord needs this donkey. And so the disciples may have been asking themselves, how does Jesus know this man's going to let us take this donkey and this colt? It doesn't tell us who the two disciples were. It just says that he sent two of his disciples. But every time I read that, I can imagine their conversation that they might have had with each other. Like, why are we going to get this donkey and a colt? Jesus has never asked us to go get a donkey before. What are we going to do with this? Or maybe they were asking themselves, you know, uh, how are we going to talk to this guy? Or who's going to talk to this guy? I guess if Jesus was, you know, wanting to bring some muscle there, he might have sent, you know, John and James, who were known as the sons of thunder, you know, or maybe, you know, he just sent Peter. But who knows? Who knows who he brought? But he sent two of them out to do this. And so we know that this is God's perfect plan because we know that Jesus is God. And being God, he makes everything work out according to his plan, as Ephesians 1.11 says. And also in Isaiah, Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, it says, Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land, to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. See, God's work and plans never fail. And he is in complete control of everything from the beginning to the end. I love how one commentator put it. He said, God isn't just watching the entire parade of history. 
He is directing the parade. And so this should be of great encouragement to us, you know, because this tells us that Jesus is truly God. It reminds me of Paul's conversion in Acts 9. If you remember, Jesus appeared to a man named Ananias from Damascus, and he told him to go to Saul. And Ananias was afraid that Saul was a persecutor and murderer of believers, and he knew that. But God assured, reassured Ananias that he would be safe. And he told him in Acts 9, 15, and 16, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to lead people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so if we go back to the text in Matthew 21, it's a very interesting note that we see in verse 3. And he says to him, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And so Jesus here is calling himself Lord. He is demonstrating the power and the authority that he has over the situation. And he's affirming that he is fully God. He's still God today. He never changes. He still possesses all power and authority, whether people recognize him or not, as God. Because one day at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So as we look at this, let's take a little bit of a look at the, the colt and the donkey here. You know, I think that it's amazing that Jesus, who's fully God, used a donkey to accomplish his mission. He could have done it any other way. But I also think that this is probably the luckiest cult in the world. You know, here you have the Son of God riding on your back to fulfill Old Testament prophecy and to come to the nation of Israel as their king. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who wrote a poem about this donkey and what the donkey might have been thinking. So if you want to look that up sometime, I believe it was called The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. And so Jesus could have done this entry into Jerusalem so many different ways, but he chose to use this little colt. Why? Because Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy in this. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture of uh, Jesus' triumphant entrance into Jerusalem to unpack. But I kind of want to focus on three prophecies that were fulfilled here. And so I know that some people have a hard time with prophecy and the prophetic text from Scripture. And so I'm going to kind of try and walk through these three texts to try and help you um, with it. But I also want to say that one of my favorite prophecy experts is a man named Ron Rhodes. And he's written over 60 books, many on end times prophecy. And in one of his books, he gave a great definition of prophecy. He said that prophecy can be defined as God's revelation regarding history in advance. The backdrop is that only God, who is all-knowing, knows the future. 
This means that our sovereign God controls human history and he is the only one who can reveal the future to us. And so the first prophecy that we see being fulfilled here is in verse 4. In Matthew 21, 4, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. And so this comes from the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so if you come here on Wednesday evenings, you know that pastor is doing a wonderful series uh, uh, going through the book of Zechariah verse by verse. And so he's going to be getting to this verse of scripture in the near future here. And so... If you haven't been coming here or watching online the series, uh, the sermon series on that, I would encourage you to join us here on Wednesday nights at 6.30 as we go through this uh, great Old Testament uh, book of Zechariah. And you can also go and watch the past sermons on Zechariah on our website to get caught up. And all the notes and everything are there. But the amazing thing about this prophecy of Zechariah is that this prophecy from Zechariah was approximately 500 years before it was fulfilled by Jesus. And so by Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt, it was showing his identity. If we look at what Zechariah said again in Zechariah 9.9, he says, Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is the absolute perfect picture of Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem. And this is a promise from God saying that they have a king and he will come to them. And when he does, he will be riding on a colt. So they're saying not only is your king coming to you, but it's also translated your king is coming for you. And so the disciples did what, what Jesus instructed them to do. And so they brought him the donkey and the colt, and they laid their coats on them. And that's where Jesus sat on their coats, and he got on the colt. And so we also see in verse 8 that most of the crowd that was there, they spread their coats on the road, and others cut branches from the trees. And in John, John's gospel, it's the only one that says that they were branches from the palm trees. And so that's where we get Palm Sunday from. And they, so they spread these palm branches in the road, um, which is another, you know, um, prophecy as well. And so next we will come to verse 9 here. And so Matthew 21, 9, it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so this comes from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 says, Save us, which is Hosanna. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so that was Psalm 118, 25 to 26. 
And so this is one of the psalms that was sung by the pilgrims as they were traveling to Jerusalem for their faith or for their feasts. And so the word Hosanna that we see there comes from a Hebrew word meaning save us or save us we pray. Hosanna, save us. And so the people were shouting these verses and they were waving these palm branches as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a colt. And they did this as a recognition that Jesus is God's Messiah sent to them. And so they were invoking heaven's blessings on them and the salvation that the Messiah was bringing. But it also seems that many of these people that were out there praising and singing praises and Hosanna, it seems that a lot of these people were in the crowd and they kind of got caught up in the moment. They got caught up in everything that was going on, all the excitement, you know, but, bad, but sadly, you know, as we'll see, the salvation that they were looking for, for the Messiah, was not a spiritual one. It was a political one. You know, because they thought that the Messiah was going to be this great political ruler who would deliver them from Rome and not the savior of their sin. You know, he wasn't there to take care of their political problem. He was there to take care of their sin problem. And so sadly, we see that these quickly, these chants of Hosanna, Lord save us, will sadly turn into crucify him later on. And so we see how quickly that the crowd's opinion changed about Jesus here. And so the third prophecy I want to talk about tonight is one of my favorites. And so this one, I'm going to need everybody's full attention on this one because there's a lot to unpack on this one. And so I'm going to try to make it as easy as I can for this with as less words as I can. <laughs> so if we go to Luke 19, 41 to 44, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over Jerusalem, saying, would that you, even you, had known this day. Remember that little phrase, this day. The things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in every side and tear you to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone up from another in you. And this is what happened in A.D. 70 when, Ro when the Romans leveled Jerusalem to the ground. So he's saying, this is going to happen. And then he says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so I want you to remember a few of those phrases. The time of your visitation and on this day. Because here Jesus is predicting the fall of Jerusalem. And so he's here and he's not weeping for himself, but he's weeping because this was a turning point for the Jewish people because their leaders had rejected him and their hearts became hardened against him. And so Jesus here is showing the heart of God even when his perfect judgment has to be pronounced. And so like I said, I want to talk about two parts of this verse. In verse 42, we see Jesus talk about this day or your day. And in verse 44, 
He says, you did not know the time of your visitation. And so Jesus is saying that they did not know the time or how the Messiah would come. Even though God sent prophets to warn of the judgment that was coming if they didn't obey. And he also sent prophets like Daniel to prophesy his coming. And so as we look at that and we remember that verse in Luke, those verses in Luke, I want to go back to the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. He's a prophet from there. And I took a class on Daniel Revelation in Bible college, and I loved it. It was just, we studied the first four weeks was nothing but Daniel, and then the second four weeks was nothing but Revelation. It was a great class. And so when we look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, it's what's called the 70 weeks prophecy. And so it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And so here, Daniel is giving the exact date that Israel's Messiah would come to them. And the religious leaders missed it. They completely missed what Daniel was saying. It says that Jerusalem would be rebuilt or restored, which we know happened in 445 BC. If you remember in the book of Nehemiah, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, granted his trusted cupbearer, Nehemiah, permission and safety to go back to Jerusalem and repair the walls, to reestablish the land that God had given to them, which he did. And this was part of Daniel's prophecy. Because if you look in that Daniel passage, he talks about restoring the holy place. Now it says to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince. There will be seven weeks. And so there's almost universal agreement among Bible scholars and commentators that this refers to 70 sets of seven years or weeks of years. So it's not just seven weeks, it's it's a set of years, set of seven, seven years, or weeks of years. And so in the 1800s and the 1900s, there was a man who was a, from Scotland Yard. He was a criminal investigator, and his name was Sir Robert Anderson. And thankfully for Sir Robert Anderson, he did all the math for us, because that's what he wanted to see. And he wrote this in his book, The Coming Prince. And so the 69 units of seven years that Daniel's describing here, he calculated to be 483 years that would pass from the time of the command to Nehemiah to restore Jerusalem, which was in 445 BC, until the appearance of the Messiah. And so Sir Robert Anderson counted 483 years from 445 BC, which he thinks that it was March 14th, and he, call, and he did it from their Jewish calendar, 
which has three that Daniel had at his time, which has 360 days, not our 365 days. And so he counted from Daniel's the Jewish calendar from Daniel's time, and he found out that 483 years is 173,880 days. And guess what date that was? It was April 6th, 32 AD, the same day that Jesus presented himself as the Messiah to Israel when he rode the colt into Jerusalem. How awesome is that? We have a God that is perfect in everything, and he does everything on his timetable. And so one last thing I want to say about this is that it's also called the 10th day of Nisan. Not the car, but 10th day of Nisan. And so it was a day, this was the day on the 10th day of Nisan, this was the day that Jewish families would select a lamb that on the 14th day would be sacrificed. And so what we know is that the 10th day of Nisan is also April 6, 32 AD. And that's the same day that the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, rode into Jerusalem presenting himself to the nation of Israel as their king. So next, what we see is that the children recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, he went in and he cleansed the temple, and then he continued to carry out God's compassionate work in the temple courts by healing the blind and, and the lame. And so the Jewish leaders were very upset about this. If you, if you read going on in, in Matthew 21, the religious leaders were very upset about this because Jesus was their biggest nightmare. You know, he was upsetting their religious system. And the people, a lot of the people, were more attracted to Jesus than they were attracted to the Jewish religious system. And so they were very angry because now they had competition and they saw that especially when the people yelling, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And then it says in Matthew 21, 15 and 16, it says, even the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And so they were indigent. And they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And so when we look at Psalm 8-2, that's what Jesus is quoting there. It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to sit to, to the still the enemy and the avenger. And so there's no one that I can think of who's more weak and helpless than babies and infants. And so David was writing in the Psalms here about a familiar theme in Scripture of God using weak things to show his glory and strength. Paul even wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He said, But God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so God silences his enemies and he puts them to shame by the words that come out of the mouth of babies and infants who proclaim the Lord's goodness and strength. And so these Jewish leaders, they should not have missed all that was going on with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on this donkey, the people worshiping and shouting Hosanna in the highest, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, and then when they look and they turn and they see in this temple, they're selling and buying goods and it's a place of greed and theft. And the sad thing is, is that what was going on in the temple, the greed and the theft didn't bother them. But what bothered them was that these children worshiping God, worshiping Jesus. This shows their hypocrisy. You know, the, and the religious leaders said, do you not see what these, these people are doing? And so they thought that Jesus was going to put a stop to all of the children praising and worshiping him. But he didn't. Instead of stopping them, he accepted it. He accepted their worship. And the children recognized and understood what these religious leaders could not see, that Jesus was their promised Savior. You know, I love during worship, I love when I uh, see our kids, you know, when I'm playing drums back there and I can see everybody. And I, one of my favorite things is, is when I see some of the kids up in the front and just worshiping with us and raising their hands and smiling and just loving worshiping with us. And I love seeing you guys worshiping with us. You know, it's such a great thing. And so we as parents should always encourage our children to be in service with us as we worship the Lord through song. You know, and we also have Timber Ridge and Climbers and Elevation every Sunday and Wednesday. And so each of these programs are for our children and they provide sound biblical teaching. And not only that, but they help build relationships with one another. It's such a great thing when, when I go home and Elena's on FaceTime with, you know, uh, a couple of her friends here, and they're just talking about different things. And then when you see them in worship together and worshiping with one another, you know, and also as Pastor said on Sunday, you know, a good, a good thing to do is to listen to the messages again, you know, and look at your notes. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times our children are in the service, and so it's a great thing to listen with your children and talk to them about pastor's message, you know, of how, you know, God gives us promises of, of strength and, and peace. And we can also continue to be a godly example to our children so that they know what it means to love God and his word. You know, good examples of faith start at home. And the third thing that I, I want to say is that scripture is greater than opinion. Scripture is greater than opinion. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so the Bible faithfully and adequately gives us God's opinion. He gives us God's word. Because the Bible is our ultimate authority for what we believe and how we should live our lives. Because the word of God endures forever. And so that's when we get into a lot of troubles when we expect God to think the way that we do. And we expect him to do the things that we think should be done the way that they should be done. You know, that's why our thoughts and our ways should be transformed to be more like God's thoughts and his ways. You know, scripture is more reliable and is great and is greater than the opinion of people. Following Jesus is more important than just observing Jesus and just having an opinion of him. Because everyone we meet has an opinion of Jesus. 
I don't know if you heard the messages a couple a couple Wednesdays ago when I when I was up here, but I talked about you know who do people say Jesus is, and you know if you want to hear it, you can go back to our sermon archives and listen to that message. But people always have an opinion of who Jesus is, okay, and that's why I say that Scripture is greater than man's opinion because many opinions that we have we know are not accurate about God. You know, people love to intentionally live out, leave out bits and pieces or, or a lot of times they like to twist scripture for their own gain to try to discredit the word of God. And it's like many times that I've found that people who do this and who try to challenge our faith have never truly experienced reading God's word and have not allowed the Holy Spirit to guide them through in all truth. You know, many of them hear or read on the internet supposed issues but they never really look into the issue. You know, they just say what others are saying about the Bible and God. It's okay to ask questions. You know, God is big enough, and he's a big enough God for our questions. You know, if you read throughout the gospel accounts, look at how many times the disciples asked questions of Jesus. Even when it was right there in front of their face, they still asked questions. And you never heard Jesus say, do I have to go over this again? Or didn't you see it? Or didn't you hear what I said last week? No, he doesn't say any of that. You know, he was compassionate with them. You know, and that's why when we go to God's word, you know, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in his word. And then we read, you know, what God has to say for us. And so God wants us to use the brain that he gave us. You know, I like to say sometimes, don't be a Wikipedia Christian. You know, be a passionate follower of Christ who seeks to know him more intimately and search for the answers to the questions that you may have because the answers are right there. You know, you can have a source of confidence and real security when your life is governed by God's word rather than being governed by man's word. And we can have assurance that God exists, that the Bible is true, and Jesus is is the God-man who dwelt among us, who was crucified, died, and was buried. And we can trust a God who is this accurate and detailed in all that we read tonight. Because not only that, but Jesus was not a martyr dying. He was a Savior giving his life. And he rose from the dead three days later on Resurrection Sunday. And I'm so glad that we're able to celebrate that. So how will you respond to him? Will you be more than just an observer of Jesus like the disciples were and move from being just an observer to a follower of Christ? Let Jesus make a triumphal entry into your heart so that you can experience his love, his grace, and his mercy. I urge you tonight, don't miss the time of your visitation. When God calls you through the Holy Spirit, to trust him as your Lord and Savior. You can be a new creation, and you can walk in the newness of life. Um, on the bottom of your uh, thing, I have on the paperwork here, I have three book suggestions, and I brought them. I'll show you guys when, when we're done here. But the first one is Bible Prophecy Answer Book by Ron Rhodes that I talked about. He's got so many great books. I've talked to him several times, and he's just, um, he's a great uh, 
writer and, and he does a lot about prophecy. And that's probably one of his best ones um, because it, it goes through a whole bunch of different answers. So it's called Bible Prophecy Answer Book. Another one is um, a newer book that just came out. It's by uh, William F. Cook III, and it's Jesus' Final Week, and it goes through the whole week of everything that went on during the final week of Jesus' life. And then the third one is a kind of older. It's a couple years old, I think. It's by Pastor Max Lucado. It's called Jesus, the God Who Knows Your Name. So if you want to look at those and look those up, you can find them. Those are all three really good books to read. So Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for tonight, Lord. I'm thankful for everybody that's here tonight, Lord. I'm thankful for everybody that's online watching this, Father. I just pray that you'll uh, continue to be with us, Lord, as we uh, enter into um, this Passion Week, this Holy Week, um, as we get to ready to uh, uh, go through our Good Friday service, Lord. I just pray that, uh, that we'll just be able to invite family and friends to come and worship with us, Lord. Uh, because we know that even though we have a good Friday here, Lord, there's always going to be the Resurrection Sunday, which we just can't wait for, Lord. It's just such a great day, and I'm just so thankful for the sacrifice that, that Jesus had on the cross, Lord, and his glorious resurrection, Father. I pray right now for anybody right now, Lord, who's not feeling well, who's, who's got um, any type of cold or flu or COVID, Lord. I pray that you'll just heal them and just touch them. I pray for anyone right now, Lord, who, who has cancer or who has any type of other uh, uh, issue, Lord, that, that you'll just be with them and that you'll completely heal them. And that, uh, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for watching online. Again, don't forget, you can go onto our brand new website, woodland.church, and you can uh, get the notes there. You can uh, email us at prayer at woodland.church if you need prayer. Uh, we do prayer every Saturday on Pastor's Facebook page. Also, if you have any questions, you can go to, you can email info at woodland.church. Thank you again and have a great evening.